Hey listeners, welcome to another episode of The Background Scoop. I'm your host, DJ Stavropoulos, part-time background actor here in Atlanta, Georgia. Thanks so much for tuning in. Ozark, Ordinary Joe, The Wonder Years, and The Staircase. You'll see a pattern here. I'm leaning more towards television lately because it's easier, more predictable work, and you get to see the results fairly quickly, like four to eight weeks versus the year or more that a film takes. Yes, Red Notice, which I covered extensively in the first episode, is finally being released on November 5th, 2021, after I finished my work on it last November but it'll be worth the wait. This episode is about the close-knit families that form on projects, how it feels to work on a show you watch and love, encountering people you don't remember, discovering that someone's impersonating you online, the wonders of a science fair, hair readiness, protesting, FOMO, screaming on cue, shuttling to nowhere, hair color, exposing yourself, and building friendships over time. That's a lot, I know. I can't possibly summarize everything here or limit my content because it's a lot of little things I pick up along the way. But if you listen closely, you'll find some golden nuggets. And that's the whole point. If you learn just one thing from me, it's a lesson you don't have to learn yourself. I'll get started after the break. It's Tuesday, September 28th, 2021. Yesterday was a total bust on the TV show Atlanta. 10 hours sitting in my car in Castleberry Hill, and I think they used three of us. There were probably 15 to 20 of us with cars and the same number of pedestrians. I took a field trip to the Hard Rock Reverb Hotel a few blocks away during the day, and no one even noticed. Today I was back on Ozark after two years. I posted something really sappy on Facebook. Quote, today was Kevin Johnson's last day on Ozark forever. I had the opportunity to stand in for him on my very second day of background acting in October 2019, and today got to film with him and Laura Linney with Jason Bateman directing. It was ironic that he played a real estate agent on the show because I do that in the real world. He gave a really heartfelt speech at the end, and I felt like we were at a red carpet event. Champagne was popped and confetti flown. After four years, this great show is coming to an end. The bittersweetness was palpable, and it reminded me of leaving companies after working with people for four years, ten years in one case. Every wonderful thing you do in life will ultimately come to an end, so cherish the time you get to spend with people working on great things." Unquote. It did get some likes and comments, but enough of that. It wasn't a super long day. Call time at 6 a.m. and we wrapped at 2.30. However, this is the first time I did testing not on set. We all had to drive up to Third Rail Studios for the test and then drive 30 miles to Conyers to shoot. It's so strange having Laura Linney and Justin Bateman, who's directing the final episode, to be just walking around talking. You have to train yourself to not think of them as stars, but instead just as ordinary people. In the morning, I was standing in the parking lot all by my lonesome, and he walked by and made eye contact. It's weird in my head thinking, I watch this guy on TV, I listen to his podcast, and here I am working on set with him, but I'm pretty much forbidden from talking to him. Oh well. All of the background are basically outsiders witnessing this close family work together, and we're only allowed to barely permeate their little bubble. I mean, you can talk to whomever you want to on crew, but you cannot, under any circumstances, interact with the principal actors. Well, maybe 
maybe if they talk to you first. I was somewhat surprised to see four of the exact same people that I met two years ago still working on this show. I guess that's a testament to staying with something that's a really good deal. This included Jack Roach, Tommy, whose last name I don't know, Victoria Rupert, and Jen Eden. Jen actually texted me a photo of myself with Laura Linney and Kevin Johnson in the foreground. It's got all these markings around the edge because it's basically a still from a piece of real footage. I learned something about boarding my dog. I had expected to board her three nights because I was working Monday and Tuesday. So that's Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday nights. But instead, I brought her in Monday morning and we wrapped early on Tuesday. So she was there only one night. My plan going forward is to never drop her off the night before unless I'm absolutely sure the call time is earlier than 8 a.m. I'd rather be a bit late than waste $30 on boarding her unnecessarily. This is exactly what happened later in the week. I boarded her to Thursday night only to find my call time on Friday was 11.30 a.m. and then filming ran until midnight, so she was there two nights instead of one. One more point about Ozark. I had been told previously that they were filming two seasons consecutively, seasons four and five, but I learned this week that there is actually only one final season, and it's season four. It's just super, super long. It's got 14 episodes in it. I'll continue after the break. It's Saturday, October 2nd, 2021. The year is flying. So far, I am up to 30 book projects this year and 74 in total over the past 18 months that I've worked. Technically, I started this two years ago, but we shut down for six months due to COVID. I was trading text with someone from Setlight Casting for 1700s period film filming in Covington. I had applied for several roles next week and he finally got back to me. I was all set to play a Galaman, G-A-L-A, not G-A-Y-L-A, as in fancy ball. There is no fitting, just a COVID test required up front. At the very last minute, he remembered to ask if I was willing to shave. And I said that was a deal breaker because it really is. I can't be shaving my beard off every other week because then other projects that hire me because of my beard will be disappointed when I arrive clean shaven, or so I think. Anyway, next week I'm booked already and really don't want to do more than one gig. Remember, that is my rule, although this past week I broke it with three jobs, Atlanta, Ozark, and Ordinary Joe. I already spoke about the first two, so let's focus on Joe. There's a studio at Mailing Avenue called Stageworks. Prior to this, I'd only been there for testing a few times, but it's a real studio. On our way out of holding to take a shuttle to set, we saw lots of Ordinary Joe sets, including the Rockstar's giant loft apartment. I was a bakery patron. We filmed just outside of Dakota Blue in Grant Park. That was our onset holding pen for the day, 11.30 a.m. until midnight. The bakery is actually a pizza restaurant, cleverly disguised, except we could see the pasta and pizza specials written on the blackboard on the wall. I figured that this was the musician portion of the show, since Joe is playing a ukulele outside, busking for money in 2011. I'm in a blue shirt with small white leaves on it behind a woman who tips him a dollar. 
Later, I'm in the window of the bakery, fake singing, before the crowd outside gives him a round of applause. That's all I can really say, although I hope to not publish this episode until it airs about two months from now. Episode 7. His co-star, Natalie Martinez, is really petite and cute, and he can sing. Of course he can, because he has to be able to for the rock star scenes. The smell outside the restaurant was god-awful, a mix of raw sewage and rotting corpses. He commented that he has two children at home and spends all day changing diapers. There's nothing ordinary about this, Joe. It's a great show. I watched the first two episodes before filming. It's a bit complicated to follow, so you really have to watch closely. It's not one of those shows you can multitask. I missed something and had to rewatch both of them. But here's what I learned on set. The scenes are colored to match which track you're watching, and you can see this in the promotional image. Orange is Rockstar, green is Nurse, and blue is Policeman. The Rockstar parts are easy to tell. It's the Nurse versus Policeman that gets tricky because some of the other characters don't look very different, especially his mom. And the son who exists in all three is the most confusing. He's Joe the nurse's son and named Chris, but for Joe the cop, the kid's name is Lucas and Joe doesn't know that Lucas is really his son. Jen is married to someone else who is not the kid's father. As for the rock star, in that scenario, Jen gave up the son for adoption, just told Joe this 10 years later, and Joe is now determined to find him. To Ordinary Joe. Our background PA was Montana Maniscalco, a fiery petite strawberry blonde 20-something. The overall PA was Nate Galasick, whom I had worked with on Doom Patrol Season 2, the episode called Sex Patrol. My yellow t-shirt was too bright, so he made me take it off and go stand in the kitchen pantry before entering the scene. Then later I was wearing a tie-dye t-shirt as he stood and chatted my ear off at a party. Yes, sometimes the crew actually gets to be in scenes as background. I didn't bother reintroducing myself to him. It was one of those situations where I think to myself, he'll never remember who I am, so why even bother? Plus, he's very busy doing his job. So what difference does it make? And then, like an idiot, I reached out to him on LinkedIn, as if that will somehow jog his memory. I met three women at my table sitting inside Dakota Blue, but I didn't get any of their names. A young woman who has done a testing coordination for a Rob Lowe movie called Dog Gone. Another woman who was new to background work and ran an astrology business as well as credit repair, and a third woman who reminded me of Sarah Palin. At one point, this podcast came up, so I gave them my acting business card. The astrology woman immediately looked me up on Instagram, but followed my real estate account instead of my personal one. While searching on my accounts to understand how this happened, I learned that the business one comes up first. But I also discovered, to my horror, that someone named Robert Knight had created a fake account using my name in the title. It has 18 posts, most of which are pictures stolen from my personal Instagram account. I have no idea how you even do this, since I thought you couldn't save IG posts. Plus, he made about 10 identical highlights with a single post of me and Cameron at a Christmas party. I reported this account to Instagram and checked a box called, quote, it's pretending to be someone else, unquote, because it's pretending to be me. Because 
My real name is already used on my Instagram account. He inserted an underscore where the second period is supposed to be, right after the J. So it's D period J underscore followed by my last name. I suddenly felt violated. Or at least it occurred to me that this must be what famous actors have to deal with when stalkers insert themselves into their lives. The account has only 29 followers and no posts after 2020, so I think he gave up when he realized he couldn't successfully compete with a real thing. It may just be a bot. You never know. So far, Instagram has refused to do anything about this, even after I sent in a photo of me holding my license to prove that I am who I am. I also ran into two people I know. As I was testing for Ordinary Joe, this woman approached me and said hello, and I just stared at her. She could tell I had no idea who she was. Her name is Michelle L. Williams. She was the stand-in for the FBI agent Maya on Ozark that I'd worked with on my second day. Time flies. And then I ran into Whitney Cornwall, the wardrobe woman I had met on Red Notice last fall. Again, I didn't recognize her with her shorter hair, hat, and what appeared to be a noticeable weight loss. For those of you using Central Casting, they have this really cool new feature that shows you a calendar graphically with entries for every show you accepted, worked, and declined. The calendar part on the right looks just like a calendar, but on the left of it is a list of shows. The entries in the calendar boxes say either unavailable, first available agreed, or worked. And you can scroll left and right and view by day, week, and year. I booked next week on Wonder Years for the third time. And then they asked me to do Ozark again, but I have a conflict. It's Thursday, October 7th, 2021. Another stint on the Wonder Years yesterday. When you start doing a show multiple times, it becomes even easier because you pretty much know how things work and what to expect. That's another reason for doing the same shows over and over again. It's more efficient. It's not some brand new casting company and brand new show or movie and brand new testing process. It's all old hat. However, don't bet the bank on your subsequent experiences being the same they could end up very different. Yesterday is a good example. Apparently, since I last worked this show, the second AD left and took people with him, so a bunch of new PAs were on board and there were issues all around. First, the call time was 8 o'clock a.m., but moved to 7.30 a.m. around 10.15. I was already in bed, so I didn't see the change until 6 a.m. the next day. If call times change overnight, it's usually to a later time, not an earlier time, because people set their alarms based on the original time and cannot be expected to get up in the middle of the night to check their email. It's like that TV commercial where the woman is sleeping and gets an email that tells her she needs to respond before she wakes up. Second, the base camp parking lot was full when I got there, so Ivy directed me to park at the set, which was just a few miles away. But she didn't tell me what would happen when I arrived. I had no problem finding a spot, but I had lots of issues finding background holding and anyone who knew where background holding was. Finally, I recognized the props woman from last time and asked her. She called someone and then told me I was in the right building, but had to shuttle back to base camp because that's where wardrobe, hair, and makeup were. Okay, so I had to wait for a van, which arrived pretty quickly, and lo and behold, my friend Kelly J jumped off in curlers. She was in a similar boat. Although she had parked at base camp, someone there put her on a shuttle to set without first sending her to wardrobe, hair, and makeup. Then the shuttle driver disappeared for 20 minutes. 
We eventually made it back to base camp, but in the meantime, got frantic texts from Central Casting asking about our ETA because the PA had not yet checked us in. Third, I got a licking from the hair woman, who for 10 minutes basically berated me for showing up not, quote, hair ready, unquote. I explained that I had been on the show twice before, and no one had ever complained about my hair. In fact, the last time I was on the show for three days, the head of hair just looked at me and said my hair was okay. It wasn't until the third day that someone else jumped in after the fact and decided my hair actually needed some product and spent 20 minutes on it. So in sum, hair ready is a completely subjective term. To me, it means you washed your hair and styled it for the project. But this woman told me I needed a haircut and then buzzed my neck and very politely told me to be better prepared in the future. Yeah, right, lady. I mean, they didn't even send pictures. Their excuse, as always, is that they don't have time to do everyone's hair, especially when they have to do 1960s styles on all the women. Not my problem, dear. More on these shenanigans after the break. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Shenanigans continued. Fourth, the children on set were set to lunch first, then most of the rest of background. But because some of us were filming, by the time they let us eat, lunch was over. This PA apologized and then went to Crafty and stole us three meatball subs and then made it clear to me later that he wasn't supposed to do that and was yelled at for it. This is the same guy that told me at breakfast that we should be happy we got cold food because many PAs never get breakfast. And then later, when we tried to find the crafty for background, he finally told us it was where the children's holding was, but that we weren't supposed to go there. We went there anyway and chatted up a storm with the people manning it, and they were baffled as to why he would tell us this. They eventually moved this crafty to our holding area once the kids were done with their daily schooling. Don't ask me about this because I have no idea except that someone on set teaches them something to account for the fact that they're missing a full day of school. Fifth, when I did make it to set, the driver incorrectly dropped us at the children's holding cottage. We all sat down at tables and got some crafty food. Since I was parked on the other side of the campus, we were filming at the Legacy Park area of Decatur, I decided to move my car closer to holding so that at the end of the night, it would be in the right place. I gave up a really good spot in the center of it all and had no problem finding a spot much closer, but then I returned to find that same PA leading all of us out of that building to the holding area I had discovered earlier in the morning when no one was around. So I eventually went back to my car and moved it a second time back to where it was originally. Even though my spot was taken, there was plenty of room as I saw parents parking nearby. Six, there was no clear plan as to what to do for people whose cars were parked on set. 
When we wrapped at 8.30, there was no way I was taking a shuttle back to base camp to change and then another shuttle to get back to my car on set. So instead, I changed in the men's room right there, drove my car back to base camp, and just ran in to check out with Sam and drop the clothes off. The set PA who had been withholding Crafty from us agreed that this was a smart approach when I asked if I'd have trouble finding parking back at base camp. No, because people would be leaving and opening up spaces, and he was right. 7. When I tested on Monday, Terrence was supposed to be there at Flow handing out vouchers, but he wasn't. So I called yesterday about this, and then again today. And then someone at Central called me back twice to say that the only way I could get a copy of the paper voucher was to drive to Flow today and get it from Terrence. Really? He can't scan it and email it to me? Certainly not worth my time. But if I never get paid, I'm sure they'll ask me to send my voucher, which I don't have. All I've got is the test results. Similarly, this time at the fitting, there was also no one from Central Casting sitting there handing out vouchers, but that one came through electronically, but only after I got an official text asking if I had done my fitting. Weird that the process changes from week to week. And finally, filming in a gymnasium with lots of people and children can be extremely noisy. I have never heard so many constant requests for all of us to please keep it down, please stop the talking, can everyone please shut up requests all day long. After the break, I'll tell you the lessons I learned. On to my big lesson of the day. One, you'll make set friends on set, but they're likely only your friends on set. In other words, you'll meet people and connect and maybe interact offset occasionally online. But I think for the most part, it's a friendship that grows based on how often you run into them on other projects. Here's an example. I met Kelly on the Underground Railroad in January 2020, and then a year went by before I ran into her on the Wonder Years a few weeks ago. Yesterday was the third time we worked together. It wasn't a conscious attempt on my part, but I put the friendship into overdrive yesterday and took it to the whole new level. When the PA was pairing up the parents into couples, I immediately said I wanted Kelly to be my wife. The PA was fine with that, and I assume Kelly was as well. It would have been incredibly embarrassing for her to publicly reject me right then and there. This meant we'd be hanging out all day in every scene. We somehow got onto the subject of divorce, and lo and behold, she had her own story to tell, as I did mine, and this brought us even closer. I don't mean to harp on this, but divorce and divorcing people just love to talk about divorce and their situation. Plus, there was a scene where we all had to laugh, and her cackling was contagious, so sharing a real laugh is another way to bond with someone. Silly as it sounds, as soon as they wrap you, everyone just runs to get out of there as soon as possible. No official goodbye, and see you next time. Since I didn't really meet anyone new, there was no one to say, nice meeting you two, when I left. This is the one downside to clinging to someone you know all day long. She actually ran into a guy she went to high school with, but never introduced him to me, so he doesn't count. There were lots of kids on set, and I've covered this topic before, but this time is the first time I actually had one. They gave us a kid, a 12-year-old named Drew, whose name in the show was Tom. He was hilarious, and once again, I immediately thought to myself, I could be a real dad very easily. The science fair booths were, we were surrounded by were fascinating to think that someone somewhere had to take the time to create these. I guess it was the props department. Tom's was about electricity, not that exciting, and we had to pantomime with him for hours about it. 
The light bulb was dead, so we just kept pointing at things and touching them and reassuring him of how proud we were, especially when his teacher came over and fawned all over him. But I found three other exhibits even more interesting. One, a solar oven, which is basically a box lined with tinfoil that you can cook food in on a sunny day. Don't ask me how this works with a roast or your Thanksgiving turkey. I guess you get a really big box and start cooking a few weeks before you want to eat. Second was the ubiquitous baking soda volcano, which we have all seen. You pour vinegar into baking soda and it overflows. And third was the potato clock. The potatoes have acid which interacts with the nails sticking out of them to create electrons. These travel through the wires connecting the nails to the back of the clock, where pennies then transfer electricity to the clock. I love eating raw potatoes but resisted. Neat idea, but I can't see anyone giving up their Fitbit or Apple Watch to strap tiny potatoes to their wrist to tell time. Those itty bitty potatoes would eventually rot unless refrigerated. There were all kinds of rules about children working on set, and this was clear around 6pm when I saw multiple PAs walking around looking at their phones, finding specific kids and wrapping them. They can work only so many hours per day and then have to be sent home. So as the evening progressed, their ranks thin considerably. If you watch the show, the little Jewish boy named Brad stepped backwards at one point onto my foot and profusely apologized later. So it'll be interesting to see if that particular take makes it into the show. Probably not. But listen for Kelly and I cackling as loud as we can when something goes terribly wrong. It's Monday, October 11th, 2021. Happy Columbus Day! Before I talk about Staircase, let me make a few corrections and clarifications. First, I referred to Jason Bateman earlier as Justin Bateman. That was a mistake. His sister's name is Justine, that's Justin with an E. But his name is Jason, as in son of Jay, not Justin, as in breaking news, this Justin. Second, I talked about a 1700s period piece I almost got booked on. They finally gave it a name. I was messaging with my set friend Holly yesterday who got booked on this. She couldn't recall exactly, but thought it was Bush Run or Bushy Run? Not to be confused with Ronnie Bush. I got an email from them last night. It's called The Battle of Bushy Run. I think set life casting is one, either brand new to casting, two, brand new to Atlanta, or three, up the creek on this one. At 9.30 p.m. on a Sunday night, they're frantically emailing people in all caps about a rush call for Monday, followed by six exclamation points. That sounds urgent, again in all caps. Please share with anyone that might be interested, followed by an emoticon that's basically an upside down smile. That is, the mouth is above the two eyes instead of below them. Caucasian men to portray soldiers slash officers. We will rapid test you on set. And then at the very bottom, where no one will see or read it, is a list of questions to answer, including the infamous but all important men. Are you willing to arrive clean shaven? Followed by yes slash no in parenthesis. For readers who thought it might be a multiple choice question, it's not. It's just yes, I am, or no, I am not. 
This is really two questions in one. First, you have to agree to be clean shaven. And second, you have to do it yourself. They will not shave you. As I mentioned earlier, this was a big fat no for me. It's not even the shaving itself. It's that it takes three weeks to grow back. The photo of the Rogers Rangers was hilarious. I can't even describe what these guys are wearing, but it's all green with black berets with little red cherries on top. Third, on my way to Sonoya this morning for testing, I encountered more roadkill, which I discussed in a prior episode. In addition to squirrels and armadillos, this time I spotted a cat on the way down and then a raccoon on the way back. So sad. Oh no, I guess I've used an entire segment on these points, which I hadn't intended to. I promise the next one will have some real substance. I'll talk about Staircase, which I'm filming tomorrow, and The Walking Dead, which I'm back on in three days. It's Saturday, October 16th, 2021. I did the staircase again this week, but it was no fun. I was a lawyer and expected to be in a courtroom arguing a case, or at least pretending to argue a case. Instead, our holding was in a courtroom at the Supreme Court in downtown Atlanta. I sat around for 14 hours and was used for about 30 minutes in an elevator scene. Lesson learned? You may have a great experience on a show, only to have that tarnished by a subsequent bad experience and leave telling yourself you will never work that show again. But then over the past two days, I was bombarded by central casting again for opportunities next week and was only picked to do this show again, hoping next time will be better. The rest of this week, I was on The Walking Dead, where I was last seen in the spring and then July. Same old, same old. It was an interesting mix of people, some from my earlier stints, but then others from later shootings I wasn't on. All in all, I learned six things this time around. One, tried and true can be boring. I know I've said in the past that I like to stick with known quantities when I pick projects to work on versus always trying new things. But the downside is, if you work a show too many times, it can be downright boring. You may suffer from feelings of been there, done that instead of FOMO, which is fear of missing out. This was the first time that I had no real desire to be there on Thursday, so I really didn't feel like going back on Friday, especially after just seven hours of sleep. But Friday turned out to be easier because it was later in the day with less direct sunlight beating down on us. And I had already reset my expectations for how long we'd be there. Yes, the Walking Dead crew works only 10-hour days, but if your call time is two hours before they arrive, you will be working a 12-hour day. So the key is to always find out the crew's call time. Two, fall sun can be hotter than summer sun. Even though we shot in October in the blazing sun, it felt much hotter than July. Don't assume that the cool fall weather will feel cooler when you're outside all day filming. Having jeans and leather Chelsea boots on did not help. Three, protesting is hard work. I last did this on the Tomorrow War and vaguely remember how exhausting it is. It's not as if you're just standing there for hours. You're yelling. You're raising your fists repeatedly, you're chanting, you're waving a sign, and you're doing it over and over again for hours. There was one take where we chanted for about three minutes, and I thought to myself, when is he going to yell cut? When he finally did, he then joked to us, I just wanted to see how long you guys would do that. Real funny. Greg, 
Four, if there's something that might be unappealing or perceived to be dangerous, no one will force you to do anything you're not comfortable doing. We had fake tear gas, which was really just some smoky things that went off. A few people raised their hands and said they didn't want to be close to the smoke which they told us was harmless. It turned out to be fine. It wasn't very close to us, and we were running away from it, so it's not as if we were engulfed and choking on it. Five, if you're given a chance to do something, you may want to do it, just so you don't regret not doing it. At one point, they wanted us to run through the smoke in a very chaotic scene, and my partner, Jan, and I decided we'd do it. And then after we did, there was no second take. So we looked at each other and said, glad we did that because we might have regretted not doing it and lost that opportunity. And finally, six, you should practice screaming in the privacy of your home in case you're asked to scream. At one point later in the evening, the director said to us, okay, this time you guys can make noise and scream. And then we shot it and not a single person screamed. And he asked us again to scream. So we tried it again. I wasn't about to open my mouth because I don't normally scream and wasn't sure how stupid it would sound and we had no opportunity to practice. But the women who did scream were fantastic. It was blood curdling. That was definitely a lost opportunity. I could have screamed really loudly and had my voice captured in the episode. I hung out with a mix of old and new people, Lily and Fred from the last times I worked and Brad and Charity were new to me. Jan introduced me to Dave as well, and then Lily introduced me to Lane. There are tons of social butterflies at these events, and it's fun to meet new people, as always. Fred and I had met before, but I got the opportunity to delve deeper as we were not used for a few hours yesterday. I will have to rewatch the Illinois episode of the Underground Railroad to see him with his kid and the infamous gingerbread suit. He actually got a family here as well, although I did not meet his wife or child. The troopers on the show are always fascinating to talk to. Everyone has questions for them. Like, is that heavy? Are you hot? And of course, how do you pee in that? We got Charity to call one of them over, and he began by saying, quote, first you remove the gloves, unquote. And then we were called to set and never heard the rest. The one thing I learned is that many of these guys are ex-military and or in the reserves, and this is a very steady gig for them. The creepiest thing is to hear the walkers growling while you're on set because it makes you feel as if they're right around the corner. I'm supposed to go back in November for more work on this show, but we'll see. It may conflict with the Disney movie I'm doing that month, for which I have no specific dates yet. Today is Friday, October 22nd, 2021. I forgot to mention one more very important learning from The Walking Dead last week. Do not bring your best car to set because the parking conditions are typically horrible. So bring your most beat up car. You will be in a field somewhere on dirt or broken concrete or tar or worse on rough gravel. That's very dusty when you drive over it. My car was covered in dust on the first day. And while driving home, I was trying to use the rear defroster to clear up visibility until I realized there was no way it was going to remove the mix of dew, dust, and dirt. I have since washed my car. I've also heard horror stories of background getting their car stuck in mud in a field on a super rainy day. Even if they book you to bring your luxury car to be used in filming, know that you're taking a risk regarding where you have to park it and what you'll be driving through. They do not care about your car. Only you care about your car. Speaking of which, I have this 
best recent fascination with keeping my wheels clean by spraying the hubcaps with Windex and wiping them down so they're super clean. It makes the whole car look better. I was booked on the Wonder Years for a fourth time and staircased for the third time this week. I talked about protesting in the last segment and how hard it is. The Wonder Years rule said pedestrian, but when I last looked at it, I saw the word protest as well. Here I go again. Maybe protesting in the 60s is more exciting. I wasn't thrilled about staircase and had to cancel because they moved the testing time and I couldn't be there at 10 a.m. yesterday. I also applied for Ordinary Joe for today but didn't get picked. So I was an hour late to the Wonder Years yesterday. This is becoming a habit. The call time was 7.18. I arrived at 8.15. It didn't matter at all. We didn't start filming until 10.30. Not only did I have to drop Sugar off at 7.30, but then it was a 30-minute drive. And I made a wrong turn because Stupid Ways just says, keep left or turn left without providing street names. So when I was told to get on Langford Parkway, I wasn't sure whether to go north or south, and I made the wrong decision. Shuttle to nowhere is my next story. They think you're stupid and lazy, so they put you on a people mover to take you from base camp to set. It may feel like you're actually going somewhere, but I think the drivers are trained to just make a lot of turns until you're very discombobulated and have no idea where you are. If you're curious like me, turn on a navigation tool such as Map My Ride or Map My Run so you can see exactly where you're going and how you got there. Why do this? In the event you need to walk back to base camp or maybe from base camp to your car. Yesterday, we had two shuttle rides, one from parking to base camp and one from base camp to set. The problem yesterday was there was background crafty at base camp, but once they brought us to set, the only crafty there was for everyone else. So we were there for hours with no food, just water. I finally pulled up my phone to see where we were and discovered that the shuttle ride this morning had moved us all of two blocks. So I walked back to base camp and got some food, and then everyone else eventually did the same. Similarly, at the end of the day, I discovered that parking was also two blocks away in another direction. Long story short, don't be fooled into thinking a shuttle ride is taking you a measurable distance that you could not easily walk. A quick word on queuing people for crosses. This is where you have two lines of people on either side of a scene with a PA on each side, sending people into the scene to walk across it at specific intervals. It's called crossing. This only works well when there is a PA on each side telling you when to go. They listen to the dialogue and then tap you on the shoulder or give you a nod when it's your turn. What happened on the Wonder Years is that the PA on our side decided she had something else she needed to do. So she delegated her job of telling us when to go to the PA on the other side. That doesn't work well because now we're looking at someone 30 feet away trying to see if he's telling us it's our turn. It's very, very easy to get distracted and look away and miss your cue, which messes everything up. When that happens, the people standing behind you will see the other PA motioning and start telling you to go. Since you missed the PA's direction, there's a hesitation to trust these people and start moving lest you ruin the scene and get blamed for walking when you weren't supposed to. This happened to an older woman who wasn't paying attention and suddenly had five of us egging her on. It just doesn't work very well. It is much easier when the PA is standing right next to you 
because feeling them touch your back is much easier than looking for a sign from someone far away. Of course, there is no consistency in what the signal is. Some PAs just look at you and nod. Others whisper, go, and still others gently touch your back to nudge you along. More Wonder Years lessons after the break. Up next, a lesson about hair color. When doing your hair, the hair department may color it or put you in a wig. A wig is more painful and takes longer, but in some cases is a better way to go. I've had both done to me. Temporary hair color is fine, but there's always the fear that it's going to ruin your pillow if you don't wash it out before going to sleep. I met a woman originally from Venezuela named Isaskin. Her way of introduction was to tell me that I had answered a question she had posted on Facebook yesterday. So I looked up the post, brought up her profile, which did not have a picture of her, shoved it in her face and asked, is this you? It would have just been easier for her to introduce herself. Anyway, yesterday Asaskin had had her hair done and we're standing in line ready to walk in the scene and this hair lady is frantically spraying black coloring all around and Asaskin is getting very bothered by this. The fumes, the fear of it getting on her face, how to wash it out, etc. The hair lady kept saying she could see bits of blonde as if that would be an abomination in the final product. Quote, hey, that random lady walking down the street has some blonde in her hair. Did you see that? Unquote. The problem was that it started raining. And when it rains, the color starts to run. Sandra and I were talking about this with a guy later in the day, as the same hair woman was completely redoing Sandra's hair because the rain had totally ruined it. She had a big curling iron to make brand new curls. This is the same hair woman who completely ignored my hair the prior three times I was on the show, only to have someone else step in later to fix it. The guy we were talking to joked about the black hair color running down Azaskin's face, just as it had for Rudy Giuliani, quite an infamous recent news story. And then a light bulb went off. I told this guy he could easily be Rudy Giuliani for Halloween because he looked a lot like him and just needed some black stuff running down his temples. Sandra and I had met earlier in the day, and we were discussing all of Nicolas Cage's movies after I told her my Willie's Wonderland story. She's a newbie, so I offered her up this podcast via my business card. She's a podcast fanatic just like me. In the final scene, she got a great spot walking into it from a block away, and I could see on the monitor that she will clearly be seen. Great for her on her second project ever. Unlike the Asian lady in me, which brings me to my next point, if you are trying to get out of there quickly, do not volunteer for anything at the end of the day. At around 5 p.m., our PA Richard came back asking for five pedestrians for the scene. I volunteered because I figured it was a chance to appear in the episode. Until this point, in all of our earlier pedestrianing, aka walking, we weren't going to be recognizable. They put us in a vintage car and our job was to get out and look at the small crowd in front of us as we walked away. But after a few rehearsals and takes, they told the PA to, quote, get them out of there, unquote, as if we were lepers with some contagious disease or a couple of idiots who just couldn't take direction. Of course, neither of these were true. Sometimes they try things that just don't work. And then they talk about you while you're standing right there. 
When we wrapped at 6.15, I was elated because there was a small chance in hell that I might be able to get my dog from boarding before they closed at 7. I walked rapidly back to base camp thinking I'll be the first person in the boys' dressing room. When I got there, I realized everyone who wasn't used had already changed and was ready to go, but I still had to change before I could leave. Of course, I had no idea we'd wrap at 6.15, but going forward, I may think twice about volunteering for scenes late in the J, just so I can be ready to leave quickly. I rushed out of there and called the boarding place to say I was coming and arrived right at 7 p.m. Instead of bringing her food bowl out with her, someone stood on their side of the fence and handed it over to me, as if to say, I'm out of here and how dare you keep us waiting. I met Marcus as well, who it turns out is a regular trooper on The Walking Dead and was there with me last week. He lives in Midtown at the Windsor on the corner of North and Peachtree, where the monthly HOA is insanely high, so don't buy a condo there. Just my professional opinion. I'm a realtor if you forgot. The best story of the day is about George, whom I met in the morning. They messed up his call time and had him arrive at 9 when it should have been 2 p.m. He's a musician originally from the Athens area and even offered me his music for free as background for my business videos. The moral of the story is to always make sure the bathroom door is locked. I thought mine was locked because I locked it. The red light goes on on the outside to let people know that it's occupied, but I have no way to see this from the inside, and sometimes the light is broken, so people pull on a locked door and can't understand what's going on. Halfway through a pretty uneventful urination session, the door suddenly opened and it was George who immediately began to close it, as I also pulled it closed with my left hand. It was more startling than embarrassing, but I thought to myself, how stupid I must have looked. No one wants to see a 1960s grandpa with his PPO. The incident didn't even interrupt my flow. Once I was done, I began to consider the repercussions. Did George even know it was me? Would it be awkward seeing him after this incident? Would it have been less embarrassing if it were someone I didn't know? And thank goodness it wasn't a woman trying to use the men's toilet because the others were full. This happens all the time. I didn't think anything more about it, and 20 minutes later, we were chatting again. But part of me kept wondering if I should somehow apologize for inadvertently showing George my junk. I never got a chance to give him my card before I left, so he'll never discover this podcast and hear my side of the story. Ironically, we ended up in the same changing tent at the end of the day with two other men, and I was extremely careful to not expose myself to anyone else. Once a day is my limit. I finally gave in and booked the game next week, only be disappointed hours later. I was holding one day in November for The Walking Dead, plus two days for testing. The game didn't conflict with us, but then Extras Casting Atlanta emailed us to say there's a second filming date next week and two testing dates for that, and they only want people who can make all six dates. That's an easy $750 for two days of filming. Tuesday's testing conflicts with the game. I thought about canceling, but given my recent cancellation habit, I did not want to call Central and back out. So that is my one gig for next week. I think it's a TV show based on the 1980s movie with Michael Douglas, but there's absolutely nothing about it on IMDb. I forgot to mention that the great strike by IATSE that we all anticipated did not happen last week. An agreement was reached. That's the good news. The bad news is there was a tragedy yesterday with Alec Baldwin firing a prop gun with a blank that was fatal. One person died and another was injured. 
No matter what precautions people take, this will never be 100% safe. I've decided I will not shoot scenes with guns, although I did for the Suicide Squad. At the time, I didn't think much of it. The rifles were always pointing skyward, but now I feel differently, which also means I will not shoot a prop gun under any circumstances. Here's a recap of this episode. Filming puts you in the middle of a closely knit family that isn't really going to adopt you. You're just a visitor for the day and the amount of social investing in you is probably limited. If you do ask a principal actor to take a selfie with you, you risk being sent home immediately. Working on a great TV show that you actually watch, such as Ordinary Joe, means a lot more intrinsically than shooting something you know nothing about. You may choose to do the same shows over and over again because you know what to expect, except that for a variety of reasons, the experience could be completely different. You may end up acting right through lunch, and the PAs may not even realize this until it's too late. So always bring your own snacks because you cannot control when and if they feed you. If they tell you you'll get a paper voucher and there's no one there to give you one, start calling the casting company immediately to resolve this. Do not wait six weeks until your check doesn't arrive. It's easier to solve this problem right up front. Your development of your onset friendships is based entirely on how often you run into these people. So you may go a year without seeing someone and then make up for it by going really deep the next time you see them. Protesting is really hard work, so it's not like a lot of background jobs that have you doing simple things that don't require lots of energy. Be wary of shuttles pretending to drive you far. Your destination might actually be right around the corner, meaning you can actually walk. Wigs and temporary hair color are two things they might do with you, but let them know that if there's a chance of rain, you could end up a runny mess. Crosses can get complicated if you don't have a PA on each side telling people when to go. So listen and watch carefully. For safety reasons, you may want to stick to projects that use CGI for gunshots instead of real guns. I use the term prop gun incorrectly. A prop gun is a fake gun which can never discharge a bullet that could kill someone. Finally, when using the bathroom, make sure the door is locked and even hold it closed if you're not sure, lest someone walks in on you and sees something that can never be erased from their memory. You don't want to scar anyone for life. Until next time, happy backgrounding to everyone and thanks for listening. That's all for this episode. Tune in again for more of The Background Scoop, where I discuss background acting here in Atlanta. Hope you're learning and getting some BG rules of your own. Feel free to reach out with your questions, which I'll try to answer in a future episode, or tell me a story about your own experience, and I may choose to interview you. See the episode notes for how to reach out, and if you like what you've heard, please rate the podcast. Thanks for listening.